good morning. We're going to read the text for the sermon, the scripture. Okay. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Then the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he concluded, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. <clears throat> Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. So because the Israelites cry for help, has come to me. I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you, Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of But God asked, but Moses asked, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will certainly and this will be a sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then, God, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is how I'm going to be remembered in every generation. All right, so we are in Exodus, Exodus 3, if you want to follow Along, we are uh, in this series right now um, about Moses. The series is called Moses, the Man of God. And the idea is that Moses, the Man of God, points us to Jesus, the Son of God. There's this prophecy in, in Deuteronomy 18 15. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking, a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. 
Now, in the New Testament, Christ fulfills this scripture. He is the ultimate prophet, the ultimate deliverer, and the ultimate rescuer. And as we look at the life of Moses, because of this prophecy, we can see the salvation and example of Christ through the life of Moses. And from this passage, we can see that God's compassion moves him to come down and rescue us. God's compassion moves him to come down and rescue us. Let's ask the Lord for help. Father, I thank you for your word. And I ask that you would reveal Christ Jesus to us, that you would speak into our hearts, you would open up our minds so that we would understand and that you would, would also give us the, the desire and the ability to obey what your word calls us to do. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you see in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now listen, at this point in Moses' life, he is 80 years old. Okay? That's, that's when he started his stuff, okay? He was 80 years old. He had been in exile for 40 years. So if you remember, if you remember when, when Moses was 40, he tried to prematurely deliver his people. So he ended up murdering somebody and then he tried to cover his tracks and then he tried to bring some peace. And they're like, aren't you the dude that murdered somebody? And they're like, oh man, they're about to get me. So he had to get up out. All right. So he got up out and, and he came, he went from being the, one of the princes in Egypt in the courts and the, and the nice, nice in the big house. And he went to the desert and became a shepherd. That's a dirty job. All right. It's a dirty job. I was just trying to get into Moses' mind right now. For 40 years, he's doing a job that he probably feels like is beneath him because he remembers how it used to be in Egypt. He's like, I used to eat grapes and stuff. I'm out here pushing sheep around. Listen, he had this passion to deliver his people, but he is just in this moment of waiting. It's like he's in between, right? There's, he, he had this life, and, but he's, he's not to his final destination. He's not in his purpose of delivering people. So he's in this, this weird in-between. I don't know about you. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the in-between. Sometimes I'm like, I, I'm not, I ain't where I used to be, but I'm not where I want to be. And I don't really like this situation. This is not, not the ideal place for me to be. But what I want you to know is that God does not waste the in-between. Listen, in the confusing in-between times, those are the times that God uproots our self-will. He, he frees us from unhealthy attachments. One of, one of my most, uh, I had really two in-between times that I can really remember. One is when I, I went to seminary and then I ran out of money and I was just living where the seminary was. And I was like, that's not what I thought I was supposed to be doing. That. That was not what I wanted to write home about. Remember one time we had to come, when, when I was missionary in Asia, we had to come back because of health concerns, and I didn't know what to do. I'm like, this is, I, I didn't know what the next step was. And I was like, this, this is not what I want to be doing right now. But in these in-between times, it's a season of, of emptying. See, Moses, we can learn from his life, he had to learn something about patience, right? He was ready to kill folk. He had to learn something about patience. 
he also had to learn something about humility, yeah? He came to his brothers like, you don't know that I'm supposed to lead you? They're like, who are you? He had to learn something in that time. And God used that, that in-between time, that uncomfortable time, that, that, that space where I'm like, I don't exactly enjoy what's happening, but I don't feel like I have control over the situation in my life. But God is using that time to craft us into the people that he wants us to be. God uses the time that you think was wasted, okay? Now, y'all know I'm a nerd. Some of y'all know that. So I got to tell you a nerd story. <laughs> one of my favorite guys from history, a guy named John Wesley, one of the, the greatest missionaries in America that we've ever seen. Matter of fact, when I was, I was in uh, New Jersey last week, and I saw this plaque, and it was like, these two dudes were sent by John Wesley to establish a church up in here. His mission, the first thing he did as a pastor is he went from England to go to Georgia, what is now Georgia. He was there for two years. No converts, horrible time. He didn't even stay the whole time. He's like, I just got to go home. I don't know what's going on. This is not what I wanted it to be. So he gets on a boat, and that's not like a two-week, you know, little journey. He gets on a boat, and he's going back to England. And I'm sure he's like, why in the world did I just do that? Why did I fail? Why did I spend two years and nothing happened? What in the world is going on? But on that boat, he met some people. He met some Christians who had some joy. And he said, how can y'all be joyous? How can you be happy? We're on this ship. We're stuck here for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you just happy and singing. What is going on? And as he began to have some introspection, he's like, I remember when I was on the mission field, and I didn't have any joy, but I kind of want what they have. When he got back to England, he was still wondering, why did they have something that I did not have? He ends up in a church, and somebody's reading this commentary from Martin Luther, and John Wesley realizes that he didn't actually know the gospel. I'm talking about he was a missionary. <laughs> He's sitting there, depressed, failed mission, seeing people have joy he doesn't have. He's sitting there, and he hears something from the gospel, and it says that his heart was warmed. And that joy that he saw somebody else have, he began to have because he met Christ. Now listen, all than two years of wasted mission, the depressing boat ride home, what was that for? So he could see his need, the bankruptcy of his own heart, so that he could understand the goodness of the gospel so that he could see he wasn't who he thought he was, and he was in more need than he thought he was. Then God comes and shows him the gospel of grace. God does not waste the in-between times. God does not waste the times you think are failures. God does not waste the times that you don't like. He is using that to build you into the person he has created you to be. Now, if you go to verse 2, I, I want to say that, that God reveals himself to the attendant. Look at verse 2. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. 
Here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, you might miss this because we don't live in a des- desert where stuff is on fire a lot, okay? But I'm sure it wasn't an uncommon thing for bushes to be on fire in the desert. That happens. It gets hot. It's a famine. Y'all like, thank God I don't live there. All right, so it happens. But right, well, one thing I noticed is, 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 is no, Moses notices something unusual, and he kind of he leans in to figure out what's going on. It's, it's almost as if he has this expectation that if I pay attention, that God wants to speak to me. It's almost as if he's looking for some form of communication. What's interesting is this points us to the fact that our God is always speaking, so we must always be paying attention. You're like, how do I know? Listen, in Psalm 19, 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. Now I can go about my day looking at my shoes, really focus on, on the thing I want to focus on, or I could back up and look at creation, and I can see God is speaking to me about His glory. Yeah? I can miss it, though. I can miss it if I'm just going about doing my thing. How, how do I know he speaks? Listen, Psalm 19, 7, it says, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Now, I know you've read the Bible like really quick because you needed to get through it, and you probably didn't hear much, right? But there are some times when you slow down and you paid attention to the text, and the Lord spoke to you through the text. The Lord reveals himself to the attentive. Even in circumstances of providence, listen, I, I, I'll never forget this. I remember uh, before we went on uh, our, our missions trip, I, I was in my room and I was praying, and I felt like the Lord said, hey, I want you to go to Northwest China and teach English. I was like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that one, okay? But I was, I was, I was uh, meeting with a friend the next day, and I said, hey, man, this, this is crazy, but I feel like the Lord wants me to go to Northwest China and teach English. He said, oh, man, I got this friend in town. He leads this organization called Northwest China Teachers. <laughs> Do you want to meet him? I said, maybe that's not a coincidence. <laughs> maybe that's not a co- Maybe I should pay attention to what's happening. Now, listen, I could have been like, that's cool, and like went about my business. But listen, listen, God speaks to the attentive. What's also interesting is, is if you look at this text, Moses had to physically honor God's presence. He says, he came to holy ground and, and God said, take your shoes off. He could have been like, I know in my mind you're there. Why do I got to do something about it? No, we're going to get to where that's important. Anyway, I know in my, I know in my mind you're there. I don't, I don't should not. I feel it. And he's like, no, you got you to demonstrate it. Take your shoes off. See, the ground was holy because God was there. It wasn't like that. If you went back to that spot, I don't know if it's holy or not now, but God was there and it's holy. I mean, holy means to be set apart. So I don't know, maybe somebody, I hate to start this debate, maybe you like LeBron, maybe you like Michael Jordan, I don't know, I don't care. But, but you have one of them people, you have one of them posters up on your room. Now listen, if your athlete signs that, that becomes special, don't it? This was just a poster. 
But now, now this is important. What's the difference? The presence of another. So, 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 so when God comes to a place, because he is holy, he makes the place holy. Wherever God is, is set apart because he is there. Now, here's something that's interesting. From the scriptures, we know that the church gathering is holy because God promises to be there. Matthew 18, 20 says, for where, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there. Is the church gathering holy? Yes. Why? Because God is here. In Psalm 22, 3, it says, it says to God, it says, but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. It's like when we praise God, it's creating this throne chair. And he says, I'm going to come be near that because I see that you are honoring me. Not only that, we have this promise that God's presence is revealed in the preaching of the word. That God's presence is revealed when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. That means that when we come together to gather, we don't have to be told like Moses that it was holy ground, but we can know it's holy ground because God promises to be with his people. Now here's the deal. We could be like, I, I know in my head it's holy. I promise you, I know. Take your shoes off. No, I know. You don't got to do nothing about it. I can sit here stoically. I promise you, I know. No, no. God actually expects us to acknowledge when he is there. He expects us to acknowledge. Listen, Psalm 95, 6, it says, come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. And they're like, well, I'm kneeling in my mind. That ain't it, is it? No. Psalm 63, 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up your hand, my hands. My heart's lifted up. I think you know where I'm going. Psalm 149, 3 says, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with a tambourine. Like, well, my heart's dancing in circles. No, 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 listen. In case you think that's only Old Testament, 1 Timothy 2 8, it says, Therefore, it's possible. Therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands. In my heart, I'm lifting up my hands, Lord, I promise you. No, no, if he's there, if God is here, then we demonstrate that we recognize he is here by what we do with our bodies. That's why you're not just a brain on a stick. You'd be like, my thoughts are amazing. That could, fine, that's, that's great, okay? But you demonstrate it. Imagine you're at a basketball game and everybody's just sitting there like, I'm cheering in my heart. Thank you. I mean, like, it don't work like that. It doesn't work like that. So listen, when I, te- when I call you to raise up your hand, I'm not just doing it so I can feel good in my heart. The same reason I call you to read your Bible is because the Bible tells you to do it. It's the same reason I'm calling you to lift your hands. And the same reason I'm calling you to clap. And the same reason I'm calling you to stand. Because, because if God is here, then we demonstrate that we recognize it. 
not just here, but by what we do. Listen, this is, is realizing the gravity of who God is. When you are hit by something, when you realize the weight of something, it has tangible effects. Now, here's one thing. Sometimes people are like, well, I will demonstrate that I know God is here when, you know, the truck of the Spirit hits me, and then I will know. Now, listen, you ever heard somebody talk about how they love running? And if you like me, I'm like, why though? Why would you love running? Now, contrary to what I look like, I have ran before. And, and, and at, at first, at first, it was a discipline. I ran because I was supposed to. But there does get to be a point where you're like, but I like this, though. I enjoy this. That, I, that is what physical expression in worship is. You're like, this is awkward. I don't know if I want to do it. What I love, I preached a sermon on uh, expression and worship, and, and my brother John, I, he always had his hand in his pocket, but ever since then, his hand been up. <laughs> and he says, I feel the joy of the Lord. Yeah? Yeah? He said, Amen. He said, Listen, I'm sure he didn't get hit by the, the truck of the Spirit, but he said, Well, if, God, if I believe God is here, then I need to express that I acknowledge he is here. And when I express that I acknowledge is here, just like when I start to run, I'm like, this is why that's enjoyable. This is why I have peace. This is where I can get some joy. Now listen, we go down to verse 7, and we can see that God comes down to rescue his people. Look at verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their suffering, and I have come down to rescue them. What we need to understand is that that when there is suffering, God sees it. He sees it. They, like, I'm sure they thought they, that he didn't. It, they had been in slavery for 400 years. I'm sure they're like, where you at, Jesus? What's up? You hear what I'm saying? But no, we need to know that God sees suffering, but not only that he acknowledges it, but that God moves towards suffering to deliver. Listen to this. He says, I heard their suffering. And, And who came down? I came down. I ain't sent nobody. I, didn't, I have come down to address this because I see my people suffering, so I will move on their behalf. Man, the, 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 the pain of this world, it, it causes God to act not from the comfort of his throne, just like, oh, cool. No, no, he comes down to rescue us. Now, I'm going to get a little theological on you. If you read the text, you'll notice something that's confusing. If you read the text, it'll say, the angel of the Lord came down. And then when the angel's talking, he's talking like he's the Lord. Yeah? The angel of the Lord came down. And then he says, I'm the Lord. I saw what happened and I came down. You're like, who? Who is talking? Who is who, who, who's saying what to what? Listen. Listen, the angel of the Lord, this is crazy. If you look, this is not just the only passage. When it says the angel of the Lord, you look in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is somehow both the Lord and distinct from the Lord. You're like, what? Why are you telling me? What does that have to do with anything? Listen, the Old Testament has this concept that there is one who is the Lord 
and at the same time distinct from the Lord. There is one who is the Father, or one with the Father, yet somehow distinct from the Father. I'm ringing a bell. It's a Sunday school answer. Who I'm talking about? Jesus. Listen, listen. This helps us make sense of Jesus' claim to be both one with God and distinct with God. Yeah? They had some shelf categories for that. Jesus is like, the Father is great, not greater than I, but I and the Father are one. And they're like, huh? But like, if they knew their Old Testament, they're like, well, there, that is a concept that we know something about. That's not new. The Trinity wasn't invented at the Council of Nicaea, like some folk want to say. The Trinity wasn't invented in the New Testament. <laughs> you can look in the Old Testament and see that there is a being who is distinct from God, yet at the same time, one with God. So that when you hear John chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Was he with God or was he, was he God? Yes, both. And Jesus didn't invent that. Apostle Paul didn't invent that. Nobody in Nicaea invented that. You can see that all the way in Exodus. That's important for you to talk back in your mind when somebody starts saying somebody made up the Trinity. No, no, God is, is revealing himself in the Scripture to us. This helps us understand the personal nature of God, how he, he moves close. He, like this, this being that is both God and distinct from God, when, when Jesus comes, you can say God comes. When the angel of the Lord comes, you can say, oh, well, God comes. He came down from heaven. And then he says, I'm going to empower you, Moses. God works to save people through people. This is interesting. Sometimes we get real frustrated with what seems like God's slowness. You ever been frustrated? Like, why ain't you doing a thing? I asked you to do it. What's going on? But here's the interesting thing. God gives humanity the dignity to participate in his purposes, right? God, like, did God need Moses technically? No. He could have just gone and done the thing, <laughs> right? He says, now nah, you weak person who doesn't speak very well, you, I want to use you. Listen, the ultimate example is that when God wants to save humanity, what does he do? He puts on flesh. Yeah? He takes on human form, and he accomplishes salvation. Not only that, he rises from the dead, and when we believe in him, we get the Spirit of God. And so you're like, how is God moving in the world right now? Through the church. Is the church jacked up sometimes? Yes. Is the church slow sometimes? Yes. But for whatever reason, in God's wisdom, that's how he decided to work. So even right now, when we think about, about what's going on in Ukraine and, and the devastation that's going there, I know, I know for a fact that Christians are there helping refugees. I know for a fact that Christians are providing uh, uh, resources to people in need. You're like, how does God work? He partners with humanity to accomplish his purposes. It is a good question for you to ask, Lord, what do you want to do near me, and how can I partner with you to get it done? Because that is God's method of deliverance. Yeah? Now, Moses is doubting. In verse 11, he's like, I don't know. But we need to understand that God's presence is our strength. Look at verse 11. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out to Egypt? 
he answered, I will certainly be with you. Stop. Wait a minute. Why should I go? Because I'm going to be there. Now, I used to go to middle school where people liked it to fight, you know. And, and sometimes you could tell if they was going to fight is if they had their people with them. You know what I mean? You'd be making calculations like that. Like, should I, where, oh, he, that's my boy, that's my boy, that's my boy. Okay, we can handle this now. Right? Y'all play. Uh, but, but, but then, but then like, if, you, if your boys ain't there, you're like, I don't know. I don't, maybe I shouldn't do it today. You know what I mean? But I'll catch you tomorrow. <laughs> Got to make some phone calls. Now, listen, listen. What God is saying, listen, I know you are going up against the greatest military power that exists right now. But guess what? I'm going to be there. Yeah? Mm. So Moses doubted, right? Now, listen. Remember, he said, why is he doubting? He's on the run because he's wanted for murder. Okay, you're probably going to be running, right? He remembers that he's up against the world's strongest military power. And you can look at Moses and be like, well, God's with you. Why are you scared? No, listen, let's remember us. Yeah? Remember our history. There have been some times where I have messed up. Sometimes where I've done what's wrong. Sometimes where I think I'm too weak to accomplish the things that God wants me to do. Remember what we're up against. What are we up, we're up against? Here's the crazy thing. We're up against ourselves, the flesh. We, we would want to do stuff, but then the other part of us is like, nah, don't do it. We're up against, against the culture of this world where, where Jesus calls us to sacrifice and the world says, enjoy your life. Treat yourself. Well, look, look we, we, we up against Satan and his plans to deceive and to kill. Now listen, I'm looking at all them enemies, but I'm like, but where are my boys at? In other words, who with me? Who's with you, Christian? The Lord. Yeah. Yeah, we about to fight. I might can't fight, but my boy can fight. You know what I mean? All right, listen. The first promise is about his presence, which is the best backup. And not only that, God assures him that his plan will come to fruition. He said, look, I'm going to be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt and you all worship me at this mountain. He's like, listen, I, look, I'm going to make sure it happens. You don't got to, you go, I'm going to be there. Also, it's going it's to go down the way that I said it's going to go down. So you don't have to worry about all that. Listen, there are some times when I'm doing evangelism and I'm trying to, you know, trying to do church plants and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know, man, but I don't know. There's this guy named Jesus and he said the gates of hell are not going to prevail. So I was like, well, I think it's going to work. <laughs> I think he's going to do it. <laughs> I don't know, it might not be through me, but he's going to do it. I mean, you know, like, he's going to do it. Then, then, then he asks another question. He says, look, look, who, who am I supposed to say that you are? Like, if I go to Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God just gives the most confusing response, right? He says, I am who I am. Now, what, what does that mean? What, what? I am who I am. I feel like if somebody would say that, you'd be like, I probably shouldn't even ask you more questions. <laughs> yeah, you said, you said, you, you said it. Now, here's the deal. In, in, the, in, the, in the scriptures in the Old Testament, someone's name reveals the character. Like Jacob, it, it means deceiver, and he was, he was deceiving all the time, right? Jesus means deliverer, and what did he do? He delivered. 
So, so the, the, the name actually reveals something about who God is. When, when he says, I am who I am, or the transliteration that we hear, Yahweh, that's what he's saying. I am who I am, or the translation Yahweh. He's saying something like this. He's saying, well, why does it matter that I'm with you? Well, one, I'm eternal. I, I, I am who I am. I always was, I always be. There never was a time where I wasn't, and there never will be a time where I wasn't. He's, he's saying he's self-existent. We don't have any concept of that. He doesn't need anything. We need oxygen, food, water. That's just the basics, right? God relies on nothing. There there is nothing that he needs. There is never a point where God says, I wish I had. No, he, he got it. He has everything. Not only that, he is infinite. There's no, there's no limits to him. There's not a point where you reach, I've learned everything there is to know about who he is. He is completely infinite. Not only that, he is omnipresent. There is nowhere you can go that he is not already there. He's omnipotent. There's nothing that's too hard for him. Why did it matter that he said his name was this? Because he wanted to reveal something about his nature. That he is far greater than you can fathom, more powerful than you can think, more wise than any plan you could come up with. That is who he is. And there are times that we need to remember the godness of God. A lot of times when we think about God, we think he's like a really, really big dude. Like he's like us, but a big version. No, he's not like you. You have limitations. You can't do whatever you want to do. You don't exist by yourself. No, he is infinitely above and infinitely further, like whatever direction you want to go, he is more than that. And there's some times that we need to contemplate his nature. Listen, if you would spend some time thinking about who God is, it would move you to worship. Sometimes I just think about God's eternity. Now, it's fun when you have kids, they're like, but, but when, but who created God? He was there. But who created him? No, I'm telling you, he was always there. Well, what was before him? Nothing. He was there. You're like, dog, he's good. You know, like, he's far better than I can even explain. It makes worship arise in your heart. We see this pattern. This pattern in Exodus 3 is this, is that God sees a problem. God comes down. God addresses the problem. And he assures us that he's going to complete what he started. Well, listen, God came down to us in Christ to rescue us. God saw the pain of our suffering. Anybody ever suffered here? God saw the pain in our suffering. God saw our self-inflicted pain. You ever done that? It's just me. He saw when we was tripping and making our own lives worse. Yeah? He saw the, the, the sorrow and the sin and the guilt and the shame and the, the, the bound upness to Satan. And he moved so much that he came close and put on flesh and blood so that he would deliver us. And his, his nearness to us actually cost him something. That when he drew near to us, That what ended up happening is that his blood was shed. 
is that nails went into his hands and his feet, that the crown of thorns was placed on him, and, and the chastisement, the punishment that we should have felt was put on him. God came close to you, and he suffered for you, and he died for you. And not only that, because he is I am who I am, who has infinite power, had no beginning and no end, but when he died, he got up again, yes? And he rose from the dead, and that same one who rises from the dead offers forgiveness and protection to you right now. Our God sees us, he comes near to us, and he rescues us. That is our God. And if, you, if you're in here, you, you feel the weight of guilt and shame. If you, if you haven't yet experienced that forgiveness, if you would call out to him, it doesn't matter how, how dark or vile you think you are, our God will come near to you. And he will offer forgiveness to you. Now, what's crazy is this. Now, we talked about this one part, that God comes down, but he also uses people to accomplish his purpose, yeah? So, so Christ continues the ministry of salvation through his people. I want you all to get this. There is this part in the text where it says it's holy ground. What, what, what makes something holy? Well, if God has been there, it's holy. Well, according to the scriptures, if you confess Christ, who lives in you? God. God, listen, listen, because we have the Spirit of God, wherever we go can be holy ground. Because the Spirit of the living God lives in you and I, wherever we go can be areas where people can meet up with God, where people can know something of forgiveness, where people can know something of redemption, where people can know something of reconciliation. Now, here's the thing. This, this idea that where we, when we go places, that, that where we go can be holy ground because God is with us, this is both an acknowledgement and a prayer request. Let me, let me make it plain. Jesus Christ forgave you, yes? Do you still ask for forgiveness? Yes. It's an acknowledgement and a request, right? <laughs> what you're saying is, I, I, I just tripped yesterday. I need your forgiveness. Or what you're saying is, I, I, I know you forgave me here, but I don't, know, I, I don't know if you forgave me here. So help me to experience what you said is true. In the same way, when I, when I leave my home, I said, man, your word says that when I go somewhere, you go somewhere because, I, because you live in me. Would, would that be true? Could I experience that? Not only for me, but for everybody around me. Listen, you ever met somebody and, and you've been like, man, they've been with the Lord. You ever met somebody like that? I want to be that person. I want to be in God's presence so much that when I go out into the world, that it's not just me, but that he is coming with me. There's this point in Moses' life where he's, he's on the mountain with God. He's speaking with God, and he comes down, and his face is shining. And everybody's like, back up, Moses. That's weird. You know? <laughs> they saw it. They knew he was with God, yeah? They're like, can you put a veil over your face? You're scaring me a little bit. The fact of the matter is that he was with God, and it was evident. Everybody knew. Beloved, that is our inheritance in Christ. Not because we did something cool but because God has chosen to draw near to his creation through his people. 
So listen, I want to spend time with God so, so that when, when I go places, I can be carrier, a carrier of God's power. This means that our homes, our jobs, our neighborhoods can be holy ground. Look, I done been up in some weird places before in my life. I done been in a trap house. I, I, I done gone some places. But here's the deal. When I go to those places and I'm filled with the spirit of the living God, the place where everybody goes, that ain't where you're supposed to go, that becomes holy ground. That's what I want for our neighborhood. That there's some, something has changed because God's people are here. That's, our, that's the promise that we have from the text of Scripture. That Jesus has come and saved us and he has filled us with the Spirit so that wherever we are can be the place where God is. And that we can be conduits of his blessing, of his mission, of his justice because he has chosen to work through us. That is both our inheritance and our plea. That's why when we, when we have this time of prayer during Lent, when we get together at four, that's what we're asking. Lord, we need you. We need you to show up. I need you to make what's weird, what's vile, what's violent. I need you to make that holy ground. And so we praise God because he has come to us. He has rescued us and he has sent us to be blessing to those around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your mercy and your kindness that you, you saw us in our sin. You saw us in our, 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 our self-inflicted pain. You saw us and you were moved to compassion to come down and rescue us. Now, Father, I'm asking that you would give us that same compassion, that we would look around to those around us and say, who is hurting, who is in pain? And how can I move close to them so that they can have the reconciliation that is in Christ Jesus? Lord, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.